My wife and I just celebrated our 30th anniversary last week. Give her a hand. She's a saint. I get it. I get it. Totally understand. You wouldn't want to live with this either. I get that. I get that. But in our 30 years, we have had um, a few times where we've made some financial faux pas. We've made sort of dumb financial decisions. Anybody else with me? You've made a few early on. We've made more than I want to admit. And some of you have heard some of these. I think Dave Ramsey would call these, um, it's a very loving term. Stupid tax, is that what he, what he calls it? That sometimes in life we pay some of those stupid taxes. Well, there was a house that we bought in Tennessee, and um, it was a beautiful place. I mean, it looked awesome, had an incredible bit of property to it, and I thought, we've arrived. It was just south of Nashville, and I felt pretty good about this house. And plus, the realtor said he was a Christian, right? And he's like, you know, I'm a contractor, and this, this, this house, you don't even need to do a home inspection. I <laughs> see, you already got it. But I was young and dumb. So we're like, we don't need it. It was like a Jedi mind trick. We don't need to have a home inspection. It's like I just repeated his words. So a couple years into the house, we were sitting in the living room, and one of the framed pictures came off of the wall to reveal a nice trail of living termites. That By the time it gets that bad, it's real bad. So then we opened the floor, and the entire floor joists were completely eaten through with termites. I always wondered why the house seemed to creak a lot. Turns out you need to have a, a, a healthy trust, whatever that big thing is, the floor joists have to be healthy. And that was a $15,000 stupid tax. So I'll just let you know, if you're ever going to buy a house, what are you going to do? You get that home inspection. I will never make that. Insult to injury, the guy claimed to be a Christian. I feel like he played the God card on us. And that really, that really gets me going. I'm not going to spend time on that right now, but don't say you're a Christ follower and then do something like that. The guy had to know. Anyway, foundations. We obviously, we learned that foundations are pretty important, turns out, to a house. But also, when you're a kid, you're starting out, you kind of know this intuitively. You're on the beach you're making that sandcastle. You've got you to have that foundation right, that proper mix of wet sand. You know what I'm saying? It's got to be, if you're going to go up, you've got to go, right? Well, my, my brothers and I, we, we, we played with Legos. And if you're, you're going to try to go high on a Lego tower, you've got to have that. That base is really important. I mean, we know this. In fact, let's talk about Jenga for a second. Because when my family plays Jenga, they get mad at me. Because what do I try to do in Jenga? I try to get just one piece at the very bottom. Anybody else with me? You with me? Yeah. So the next person is freaking out the whole time. They're shaking, you know. Just gives me lots of pleasure. When it all just comes crashing down. Anybody with me? Okay, I'm just the only guy. I'll get counseling. Any, but we know that uh, without a good foundation, things go horribly, horribly wrong. So the gut level question for you today, just to ask this, you don't have to say it out loud, but how, how is your... How would you say the foundation of your life is right now? Do you feel like you, you're solid? Do you feel like it's crumbling? Do you feel like you've got some termite damage? Are there some things? Do you need some foundation work today? And that's the, the question that I want to start us with, because Jesus is going to talk as he ends the 
Sermon on the Mount or the message from the mountain, he's going to mic drop on talking about a foundation. And it's pretty crucial. And so because he ends his whole Sermon on the Mount that way, I think we need to also ask about our foundation. How is our foundation? Do we need some foundation where Jesus is going to speak about a narrow way and about uh, how, you, how you have a firm foundation? And it's going to, it's going to come down to something that we often in modern Christianity are a little bit allergic to, this word called obedience, putting Jesus' words into practice. So he's going to hit hard on that. So I hope you're ready. The Sermon on the Mount's already been packing some punch, and today's going to be no different. So let's lean in and listen to Jesus talk about the narrow way. I think it was great. Last weekend, if you caught some of that, we had a small group. Thanks, you guys, for doing that. Small group, they were talking about um, some of the, what they've learned from the Sermon on the Mount and, and also trying to put Jesus' words into action. Like, what if Jesus actually meant what he said, right? With, when he said, love your neighbor and, and do good uh, to those who persecute you. What if we put that into practice? I think they did a great job of helping us start to figure out how we're going to apply these words of Jesus. Because it's just one thing just to hear the words and say, that seems like a nice idea. But to actually put them into practice is where Jesus is going to hit home as he finishes this kingdom manifesto. This, this, this laying out of what it means to be human, the new way to be human, the human manifesto. He's going to lay that out in his kingdom ways. And, and he wants us to make his will our will and his way our way, not the other way around. So would you pray with me? Before we do that, let's take a count of three deep breath, right? It's time for reset. One, two, three deep breath. Let it out. Let's pray. Father, you're, you're powerful and mighty. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is your kingdom. Father, we approach your throne with humility, but also with confidence because of Jesus, your son. And Lord, we ask for you to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, to move in us, to, to create these new kingdom ways in us, Father, that you would empower us, Father, to really consider every teaching and put them into practice. And that, Father, we would be a people of prayer and obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So find Matthew chapter 7. We're going to pick up in verse 7. And you know what? Let's just read it down. Let's just read it. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's read Starting with verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then... You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then, get ready, (laughs) everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. the word of the Lord. Some powerful things that Jesus just said. And to some degree, it is hard for us to hear these words with a fresh take on it because some of us grew up around church. We've heard this before. It's hard to maybe breathe new life in it, but but let's just kind of walk through that real quick. First of all, we talk about prayer. Jesus speaks on this idea of prayer and What may be missing in some of our English translations is that when Jesus says, knock and seek and ask, these aren't one-time things. You know, it's not like knock and seek, well, if it doesn't happen, eh, ditch it all. It's actually the, the wording is something that we would be doing constantly. So add an ING to these these action items. So it would be always knocking, always seeking, always asking. Asking, seeking, knocking. And keep on doing it. And while we're doing that, know that the Father knows what we need and He knows how to give the good stuff. He knows how to bless us. And Jesus uses this typical Hebrew sort of argument style where he says, you who are, like, you struggle with sin, if you even know how to give good things to your children, how much greater, it's it's a very Hebrew sort of argument, but how much greater, they would be saying, oh, duh, but how much greater would God, who knows and he's good, doesn't struggle with the sin, he knows how to give, give the good stuff. He knows how to bless you. And so we go from that, right? So the posture of a Christ follower is the ing. What is it? Asking, seeking, knocking, right? Those ask, seek, knock. I always think of that song. Isn't there a song 
Knock, knock, knocking on. Is that a song? Okay, I digress. But it should be a good reminder for us that we are constantly asking. That's the posture of a Christ follower. So if you're saying you're a Jesus follower today, and some of you may not be, that's okay. Uh, We'd love you to join in. But that's the posture, asking, seeking, knocking. That's what we do. Here's the next thing. And, and we've heard this so many times, again, it's hard to get it with fresh ears. But Jesus tells something that we call the golden rule. What is that? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. You've heard it, right? And this is not something like Jesus come up with brand new. This is something that was in ancient literature for a bit. Jesus t- tended to tell this in the positive. It oftentimes would show up in ancient literature as don't do unto others as you would not want them to do to you. Jesus turns that positive. So be proactively good, proactively seeking the good. Later he will say to some religious leaders that ask him to sum up the law and the prophets, and he will say in Matthew 22, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he tacks on some Leviticus, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. This is a proactive posture of a Christ follower. We're not waiting for someone else to do the good stuff. We get to do that. It's not waiting for someone else. We get to do the good. We get to meet the need, and that's a beautiful thing. Now we get to this this talk of the wide and the narrow gate. On a first listen, this might be a little shocking. It seems like, well, then how do we get in? You've got this wide gate that's easy to get into, but then you've got this narrow gate. What do we do? I think Pastor Craig Rochelle uh, had said this in some way. I'm going to probably hash it, but he said, if you, if you want what everybody else wants, you just keep doing what everybody else is doing. But if you want what few have, be willing to do what few are willing to do. When I hear the wide narrow gate, that's what I'm thinking, that we have an option here. Which one are we going to go for? And so Jesus puts this sort of dichotomy out there. Which way are you going to go? Because the way of the narrow way is going to involve internal, as he's already said, and external obedience. That you're not just going to do the right thing when someone else is watching, but it's going to be an internal and external. So that, in many ways, many people may, may not be willing to do that. So it's a narrow way of obedience. Yeah, there are easier ways to live. Jesus doesn't pull punches. He just says, you want, you want the wide way, that's, that's probably the default. That's default hum- humanity. But I want to introduce you to a new way to be human. And it's going to involve internal and external being in sync with the Lord. So he, see, he's given us this, this two-way street. And, and, and listen to what uh, one commentator said it this way. And I hope, well, you're here today, so here we go. I'm going to read it. Jesus intends his words to jar us out of our complacency and to consider the genuineness of our commitment to him. In fact, one wonders how many people attending church gatherings assume that they are saved when in fact they treat Jesus' teachings lightly, giving no thought to their temper, no thought to their mental chastity, or even their integrity during the week. And then they pretend to be religious or even spiritually gifted in the church gathering. How does, how does that sit? Because I feel, I feel convicted by even just reading that. 
Um, I find myself checking my motives all the time. What's going on here? Am I, am I saying one thing and doing something else? Am I telling this person this, but internally I might be taking them down a notch? Ooh, man, oh, man. See, Jesus isn't lowering the bar. He's raising the bar. Now, we realize this is only possible through faith in Jesus where the Holy Spirit empowers us for that. But, again, we need to hear Jesus' words. I don't think we need to sugarcoat these words. So, he talks about the wide and the narrow gate. Then he talks about some fruit. Specifically, he talks about people who claim to be religious, who claim to be really spiritual, and they might even do stuff that seems sort of spiritually. That's not really a word. Maybe it is. I don't know. I second-guess myself. But he, he said even people who, who seem to be doing miracles, prophesying in my name, doing things in my name, Jesus will say, well, I, I, never, I never knew you. And the litmus test that he gives us is to fruit check. If someone is standing, like me even, that's standing up addressing the church family, what does the fruit look like? And and do you know what I mean by fruit? Like, what is characterizing their life? And we know what some of the fruit is. If, if you don't know, you can find it in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not just for weddings anymore. 1 Corinthians 13 and then Galatians 5 will give us a listing of some of the fruit of the Spirit. And let's see how good you are. Start calling out some of the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know some of it? Love. Yeah, everybody, everybody loves love. That's it. Love and love. What else? Joy, patience. I always leave one out. Peace, patience, goodness, gentleness. Kindness, yes. That, is that the one I leave out? And then there's this pesky other one that ends the list. You got it. Self-control. Why is that in that list? For the Spirit, when you make a choice not to do what you could do, self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience. These are the fruits of the Spirit. That's what you should see in increasing measure from followers of Jesus and from leaders. But, but there are also some lists of bad fruit. Also in Galatians. So that could include greed, lust, hatred, contention, selfish ambition. Now in America, we love our ambitions. We do. We're kind of proud of that. You know, we, we get, pull us up from our bootstraps. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen. We're gonna accomplish a lot. Selfish ambition, dissensions. And it goes on, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries. These are the fruits that give signals. But when you see the good fruits, those are like signposts that the kingdom is here. And I want for our church family in this community to be signposts of the kingdom all over. Little signposts when you choose to be kind, when you choose to be gentle, when you choose, I choose to be generous that's a little bit of a signpost that the kingdom might be right here. The kingdom of heaven has come. Be signposts. So he tells us, be careful of those, those who claim so much of their religious superiority, but their fruit is not showing that. And maybe you can think of times when there have been leaders, church leaders, that the fruit has bore witness to what's really going on. Jesus said, I never knew you. 
These are harsh words. I don't think we need to sugarcoat these. When, whenever you encounter scripture and you want to run the other way, I think that might be a signal for you and I that we might actually need to lean in. When, when scripture gets in our business, when, when God puts those there for us to get in our business, maybe we, instead of running away, like it's so easy to do, that's the wide way. That's the wide gate. What if we could lean in and say, why is this, why is this irritating me? Why is this bothering me? When we talk about patience, I don't need no patience. We, we lean in when it's difficult. And then, of course, as we started this whole message today, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with a pretty, a pretty bold statement. And he's going to talk about construction. There's sand construction and there's rock construction. When I was a kid, we went to this place called Sand Lake. I think it's still around. Lots of sand. Turns out walking on sand is difficult. Building something on it would be not good. And Jesus is going to end this, this whole discussion with rock and sand. But the rock, and this is where we get this wrong sometimes, the rock isn't just hearing him say stuff. It's not even your bumper sticker or how many study Bibles you have or how many Bible studies you've been to, how many Christian books you've read. It's not about letters on a page. The rock that Jesus talks about, he's not hiding that from us. Whoever hears these words of mine, what does he say? Hears these words of mine and does them is building on the rock. The foundation is rock solid. When you put my teachings into practice, it's not enough just to hear. If you're just hearing, go in one ear, what do they say, in, in one ear, out the other, that's sand living. You're living at Sand Lake. You've you, you got to rethink this. Because Jesus said it wasn't just about hearing it. Look, I, 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 I kind of had a, a pretty long church background. I, I went to a Bible college. I went to a Christian seminary, all of that thing. And I've known many people in that, even that religious training journey that could spout off verse and chapter all over the place. They could outdo you on Bible knowledge their lives didn't match because they could say it but when Jesus says to love your enemy and to do good to those who persecute you they wanted nothing to do with that I don't want us to be that kind of people I don't want us to be sand people which is weird that's a Star Wars reference isn't it didn't mean to do that <laughs> that's funny okay quit okay <clears throat> side note but this ends kind of a two-choice motif. Did you catch that? So you have what you had, uh, the gates. We had two choices. We had the, the, the wide gate, right? And then we had the narrow gate. And then uh, the next motif would be um, the, the good fruit, bad fruit. Did you catch that? So we got those two. And then Jesus ends with which foundation, sand or stone? All of those have to do with putting Jesus' words into practice. He ends with a pretty important statement on foundation. And the thing is, it's your call. Some of us have said yes, we've said yes to Jesus. But saying yes to Jesus is an entry into the kingdom. 
And now we put the kingdom principles into action. We're not exempt, y'all. We're all, when Jesus says to obey, that means me and that means you. I know this isn't popular. I feel like in the modern Christian world, we love to talk more about verse and chapter, less about how are we actually putting this into practice. I got convicted of this this week. I was reading the, the famous passage in Micah 6.8. You know it even if you don't know it. Uh, what does the Lord ask you? What does he require? To do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, right? And I was thinking about that and praying about that. Like, how do I, that's, how do I put that into practice? And so I, I felt like I, I was sensing God saying, okay, Ben, this week, are you looking for a chance to actually do justice? And how do I do that? Are you, is there someone that needs your mercy? You see, we need to be reading the scriptures as th- these are ways that we put into practice. And, and that's building on a foundation of rock. This is what it means to be part of the kingdom, to be that new way to be human that Jesus modeled for us. This new kingdom living. This is what it means to be born again. I mean, born again means you're dead. Born again means you need a new heart. It reminds me of what Ezekiel, the prophet, said. And I'll read this to you. And I will give you, this he's quoting the Lord, and I will give you a, a new heart. This is born again. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, And I will give you a tender, responsive heart. A heart that is in sync with the Lord. So, he ends this whole Sermon on the Mount, this message from the mountain. And if I had a microphone, I would just drop it. But, you know, modern technology is straight here. But just picture me dropping the mic. And what's the reaction in the crowd? Well, I don't know what your version said. I know we had the English standard up here. You might have a different version. I think, I think the English or the ESV said uh, they were astonished. They were amazed. They were, I think, speechless. Imagine, imagine being in that crowd. And Jesus had just kind of wrapped up. And what are you sitting there thinking about? Oh, man. What about my fruit? You know, what if you were one of the religious leaders there? And you're like... He just called me out without calling me out. I mean, you might be backing up at this point. Or, or maybe, maybe you're sitting there and, and you're thinking, uh, I've just been doing what everybody else is doing. But he said, there's a different way. A narrow way. Which way am I on? What would you be thinking sitting there listening to him? Mic drop. The crowds were stunned. And Matthew said, when he had finished these sayings, which is a signal of the first, get ready for this, the first of five major teaching sections in Matthew. Does the, the number five ring any bells for anybody? Torah. Torah. The Pentateuch. It just means five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Matthew is showing here, and he's doing it intentionally. This is God who wrote the original law, now fulfilling it. This is what it means 
to be part of God's kingdom. The one always, always was meant to be. And now Jesus is showing that. And Matthew's saying, hey, it's the first of five. He's cluing us in. And there's something that Jesus doesn't do at the end of this. Most rabbis and teachers of the day in the first century, uh, especially lower, maybe lower rung rabbis, they would pepper their teaching with the authority of other rabbis. So in the first century, I think Paul was even uh, studying under one of them. I think Gamaliel and uh, I can't remember, the Hillel, I think, was the other one. There were two major rabbis of the time. And usually, to give credence to your talk, you would quote one of them to kind of show, yeah, I've got this, I, have, I, have, I speak on this authority. Notice Jesus doesn't do any of that. Because it's God Almighty setting the record straight on the law. He doesn't need anybody else's authority. He is the authority. The buck stops with him. He created the law. How are you doing at putting Jesus' words into practice? That's really the heart of what we're talking about. The heart of, I think, what Jesus is aiming at. How are you doing? How are you doing with this kingdom manifesto? How are you doing with even something like the golden rule of doing to others what you'd have them do to you? Are you a rookie at that? Are you an expert? Where are you at? How is your foundation? And maybe you need some foundation work today. Maybe that's your takeaway is, Lord, I need a new foundation. I need that new heart. Or maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. That, I don't know where you're at, but Jesus is calling us to a new kingdom and a new way to be human. If Jesus has all authority, what are you going to do about him? And what are you going to do about his teaching? What foundation work? To be a wise builder, I wonder if we know enough to put his words into practice. What do you know that he's called you to do? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know enough to put into practice. To be a wise builder, I don't think you're going to need more God info. I think what we need is more put into practice. Oh, that didn't work. More putting into practice. Putting into practice what he said. Are you with me? I, I, I mean... Even if you've not been around church a whole lot, you've heard some of these teachings of Jesus. You've probably heard the golden, things like that, but actually doing it is where some of us have a hang-up. Jesus is calling us to obedience. So I want to leave you with something, and I know this is going to sound cheesy. I don't like to be cheesy or gimmicky, but I thought this might help uh, kind of make this point stick. It might help it stick, whether uh, you use crunchy or smooth. And this is the PB&J theology moment. You're welcome. You came today. This is it. Some of you don't like peanut butter and jelly. I don't know uh, what to do about that. Call it peanut butter and honey or something. If you have a peanut allergy, I'm sensitive to that. Okay, I get that. Oh, boy. Have I gotten all the qualifiers out there done yet? But PB&J theology, and and it's taking directly from this, and this is what I want us to hear. The PB&J is make prayer your peanut butter. Crunchy or smooth, either way. I prefer crunchy. That's what Jesus had. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't have that. I made that up. But make prayer your peanut butter, and obedience your jam. Prayer your peanut butter, obedience your jam. Putting His words into practice. That's building on a firm foundation. You can do that. Next, this is week when you're when you're reading a parable of Jesus, or you're reading something in Scripture, even if it's like Micah six eight, right? Where what what is it? Do justice, 
Love mercy, walk humbly. How can I put that into practice? Try doing this. Every time you read scripture, put an I will. I will do this because of what I just read. This is putting, do it. I'm telling you, we, we have been allergic to this for way too long. Put it into practice. That's what Jesus says. That's how you build on the firm foundation. So can you try that? When you read something in scripture, ask yourself the question, okay, Lord, how do I actually do this? Our small group, I'll be really quick. Last week, we have a food small group, and that's fun because I, I like to eat. Um, but we, we were going through the feeding of the 5,000. That's a, in the New Testament, and pretty cool story. At one point, there's lots of people. Uh, the, the disciples are worried because they might, uh, people might get a little frustrated. They haven't been able to eat for three days, and so they're trying to figure out how to feed these people. And then Jesus looks at Philip and Andrew, and he says, you feed them. Now, Jesus knew what he was going to do, and we know how the rest of the story went, but he looked at these two disciples and said, you feed them. And so in our small group, we were asking the Lord, this week, is there a need that God might be tapping us on the shoulder and saying, you, you do that need, you, you, you fill that need? Putting his words into practice. Imagine if us as a church family were, were doing that. We were majoring on prayer and obedience, putting his words into practice. Can you imagine what that might do to our families, what might, that might do to our community? Because people will see those things and glorify God. And what a beautiful thing that is. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come before you. We thank you for your love and faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Father, I pray that you'd help us to have the strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to put these words into practice. Not just to hear them and ignore them, but actually to put them into practice. Lord, we need the courage, the power, the strength to do that. So Lord, we boldly ask that this week you would empower each of us and us as a church family, to actually put your words into practice and obey. And Lord, that would be that foundation that you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.